This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. All right, welcome to uh, Elevate Student Conference 2022. Um, we're talking about our mouths this weekend, our words, what comes out of our mouths. Taming of the tongue. I am so honored tonight to be able to use my mouth for something good to share with you tonight. It is, uh, I probably say this every time, but it is never lost on me. I pray that it is never lost on me ever, ever, ever. What an honor and a privilege uh, it is for me to be here doing this. I was uh, studying the last two days, and then today I was praying and praying and praying and praying. I was getting notes on the page, but I felt very stuck like in my heart. like I could not get the feeling behind what I was gonna, supposed to deliver tonight. I felt like I had like a conveyor belt of information for you guys. I was going to spill it on you. But it wasn't real to me, and I'm begging God. I finished the message. I close it. I'm praying. I'm worshiping. I'm like asking God, God, you got to give me something. This has to mean something to me. Help me. Sink it in. Make it real to me. Give me a love for these kids. Uh, and I, it just wasn't there. So that's where we are. No, I'm just messing. So I got home after that, and I had the message, and I'm talking with my wife and stuff like that. And I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to do other than just come here and do my best. And I put on some worship on the TV, and uh we're kind of just buzzing around the house. We've got a lot of kids in the house, and we're cooking uh, dinner. And the end of this song is coming up, and they, start, they, they go into the spontaneous part, and they, they break into the song, I love you, Lord. And it says, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. I'm not going to sing it for you, but you probably know the song. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And I was walking around my island out of the kitchen, and they started to sing that song, and my heart just got grabbed. And I turned and looked at the TV, and I started trying to sing, and I couldn't get any words out because I started to cry. I was just standing there just crying at these words. Uh, I love you, I, I lift my voice to worship you, my soul is all of a sudden rejoicing. Like this thing I've been asking for all day, when I'm not ready for it, God just intervenes, grabs a hold of me, and I'm just weeping, and I can't even get the words out. And, then, and so I'm just like in awe of, I don't even know what, it's just a moment, a holy moment. And then I start thinking about taking joy, God taking joy in what he hears, and letting it be a sweet, sweet sound to him. And I'm like on my knees at this point. I've got two babies, a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And they start crawling on me like it's uh, time to play. And my wife comes and like scoops them up. Because she knows that I'm just in this spot. I'm on my knees in my living room in the middle of the day. Weeping in the presence of God. And I'm telling you that to say that this is a holy moment for you. If you're asking for it, if you're open for it, it can be a weekend or it can be a moment where if you're saying, God, please, like Jacob wrestles with God, he says, I'm not leaving till you bless me. If you're open for it, God wants to meet you here. And my prayer for us tonight is that my words would be a sweet, sweet sound in his ear and that your heart would be open to receive it. Because God saw me. I, I cannot believe still that I get to be here. God saw me in my filth. My life was unmanageable. Dom's talking about the men that we help at APOR, the work that God does there that we get to be a part of. But I went through the program. I didn't like graduate college and, and have some, uh, all these you know, uh, uh, accolades and qualifications. The only qualification to be on staff at APOR is you have to be a drug addict or an alcoholic. And then God has to change you and grab a hold of you and raise you up and give you a heart for ministry and give you a whole new life. But God did not see me just in my filth. When I was, the day before I like ended up here, I was running and gunning. I wasn't looking for programs. I had stole my parents' vehicle when they went out of town. I lied to them, and I had no license. I had lost it because of multiple DUIs. 
I'd broken into their house where I wasn't supposed to be there. And when I went to drop off the keys to my mom and said, like, you know, like, can you bring me to work is what I said. She was like, are you kidding me? I was about to report this vehicle stolen. You just casually show in, show up. And she, dr- she brought me to work and she said very choice things to me along the way. And I said, in that moment, I need help. I wasn't looking for God. God was knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. He didn't just take me out of my filth. I was living in a room, basically avoiding the world unless, unless I had to come out. I was skinny. I was like 50 pounds lighter than I am right now. I was gray in my skin. I was stealing from people constantly. I was robbing the place I worked for thousands of dollars. I was stealing from my roommates. Then I'd help them look for it. No one trusted me. I wasn't welcome in my parents' home. I was peeing in bottles in my room to not face people and just tucking them in the corner. I burnt holes everywhere in my room. I had liquor bottles stashed everywhere, empty liquor bottles stashed in coat pockets in my recliner in my room. I was embarrassing. Everything about me was embarrassing. And God picked me up out of that, brought me here. And because of what he wanted to do in me, I'm here tonight sharing his word with you. That makes no sense. That makes no sense but for God. Because we serve a good God, Because we serve a loving God that doesn't just give us mercy. He doesn't just not give us what we deserve. But then he says, I want to give you a whole new life. I want to give you a purpose. I want to give you a calling. I want to give you a family. I want to restore you so that I can use you and stretch you and bless you and give you life and life abundantly. That's the God that we serve. And the reason I'm saying this tonight is because I'm tasked with telling you basically the things that God's word says not to say. But I don't want it to just be like, hey, don't say these things. Because if you don't know that God is good and that God loves you and that God wants to pluck you out of whatever dead-hearted spot you're in right now and set you on solid ground and push you into life full of purpose and life and service, then this is just going to be words to you. of Yeah, that's the old guy saying to not say the things that they've been saying not to say forever. If you don't see that God is worthy like we sang tonight, if that doesn't mean anything to you, when you know that God is worthy and that God loves you and you love him back and you know that he's good, then changing your behaviors because he asks you to doesn't seem like such a chore. You'll be willing, at least. God is searching. The Bible says his eyes go to and fro. He's searching for a heart that is willing. Not for a heart that's perfect, but for a heart that is willing. So that is what we're going to pray for tonight, that our hearts will be willing to change that our hearts will be open to what God wants to speak to us and what God wants to tweak in us and take out and what God wants to put in. We have to know him first. But he knows you and he's been looking for you. If you're here tonight, it's for a reason. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to be here in your presence, this opportunity to worship you. The fact that we even, in our fallen state, get to be in relationship with you and worship you and sing to you. And we could even offer something that you would call a sweet sound. Who are we? Who is man? Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you care, but you do. We rejoice in that. I pray that whatever you ask from us tonight, God, we don't see it as you taking from us, but you see, you, we see it as you giving us an opportunity to draw near to you, where our soul has always desi- been designed to be. You're calling us home. You're calling us closer. You're calling us into a near, closer relationship with you. You don't just take from us because you're an evil slave master. You take from us the things that need to be taken out so that you can close the space between us. Give you this time. We pray that you'd speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 12, verse 18. And then right after that, we're going to be in Proverbs 18, 21. So we're going to be in Proverbs here for a second. But first, Proverbs 12, 18. There's not much that God asks us to control in this life. Most of the time, he's actually asking for the opposite. He's saying, give up control, surrender control, give up your life. If you lose your life for my sake, there's a lot of losing going on, a lot of surrendering, a lot of picking up of crosses and laying down of lives. But there's one thing he says to control, self. He says you can't always control your circumstances. You can't control what's going on in your life. A lot of you right now, what's going on around you, 
You can't control what's going on in your home, maybe. You can't control what's going on uh, in your social life and how people are treating you. There's a lot of things we cannot control, and God's asking us to trust him. But he says you can control self. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. And one of the ways he asks us to control self is by controlling our tongue. It's littered throughout Scripture. We'll start in Proverbs 12, 18. It says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Flip a couple pages over to Proverbs 18, 21. It's kind of building on the same point. It says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Death and life, cutting and healing, good or evil. There's this dichotomy. There's this either or nature when it comes to the, to the tongue when God addresses it in Scripture. It's saying either you're going to be sowing good fruit or you're going to be sowing bad fruit. You're either going to be building up or you're going to be tearing down. You're either going to be stabbing or you're going to be healing. You're going to be bringing death or you're going to be bringing life. There's a choice that he has given us. See, the tongue is not good or evil in and of itself as much as a dollar bill is not evil or good in and of itself, or a brick is not evil or good in and of itself. You can take a dollar bill, you can take many dollar bills, and you can do great things. You could build schools and hospitals and churches and orphanages. Or you could take lots of money and you could build yourself up and you can make it an idol and you could walk yourself right into destruction. With a brick or many bricks, you can build great buildings. You can, you can build uh, things that are of great use to many people for generations and generations to come. Or you could throw it through someone's window or bash someone's head in with it. It's not the brick or the money or the tongue that is good or evil. It's the one who holds the brick or holds the money or possesses the tongue that determines whether it will be used for good or evil. And that's what the scripture tells us. It says, what are you going to do with it? This is an awesome, awesome responsibility. See, we may not all have the same level of gifts or the same level of talent in this world, but we've all been given the ability to voice something. We've all been given the ability with our mouths to speak into people's lives or to tear people down. It's a big responsibility. The Bible paints a big picture. It says there's death in life in the power in the tongue. That you can destroy things or you can give life to things based on what you say. This is important though. You only have the power to do good things with your words if that power has been given to you. In and of ourselves, we have nothing good to offer. In John 15 it says, apart from, apart from me you can do nothing, Jesus says. If God has not changed your heart, if you do not know him yet, then there is no power for you to rely on to change your words. You are always going to speak from the flesh. Turn to Matthew 12, verses 34 to 37. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees here. He's speaking to a group of, uh, of men who have position, who have power, who many times even say the right things. And, he, and multiple times in Scripture, he, he calls them uh, very directly on their issues. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, you're clean on the outside, but they're empty and death on the inside. He said, you're like cups that are washed on the outside, but not cleaned on the inside. And then he tells them this in Matthew 12, 34. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, listen to this, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. It says what's in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. So if what's coming out of your mouth is evil, that means what's in your heart is evil. And he says, at the end of it all, what comes out of your mouth will be a great judge of what your character was and what was in your heart. To quote the great, brilliant Dominic Ferrone, he says this, what comes from our mouth comes from our thoughts. Our thoughts come from our hearts. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts. 
but we have the power to choose our thoughts. Meaning this, at the moment of salvation, God buys us back and gives us a heart transplant, so to speak. It says that we take on the identity of Christ. We are, we are covered in his blood. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are hidden in him. All of these things signify that Christ changes us. He, he comes and he lives inside of us. And in John 15, it says, abide in me and I will abide in you. When we know him, when we believe on him and salvation takes place, he comes and he does a transformative work in us. What he is buying is our hearts, our souls. He gives us a new heart and the power to change what comes out of our hearts and out of our mouths comes after he has bought us back. This is very important because before he buys us back, before, we, before Christ, we are slaves to sin. We have no power to fight against what's in our hearts. It says we're slaves to sin. The slave has no rights. After Christ, we are released from slavery. It doesn't mean that we cannot or will not still sin. It just now means that you have a fighting chance to control what God has asked you to control, to change the things in you that God has asked you to change. Before, it's flesh versus flesh, and flesh always wants to serve self. But when God begins to transform our hearts, we now have a chance to say, the choice to say, I want to serve you, God. And out of that, I want to serve the people around me, and I want to change the way I speak to people. If you don't know him yet, you have to start there. You have to beg for his mercy and you have to beg for his forgiveness and you have to ask for Christ to come and live in your heart so that you then have the power to change the things that we're going to talk about tonight. That is first priority. It says this in Romans 6.6. 6. If, if you want to turn there, Romans 6.6. 6. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. He's just finished speaking in uh, the end of chapter 5. He's talking about being justified by grace. And then at the beginning of chapter, chapter 6, he says, what now does that mean? That because you are covered by grace, that you should sin more so that grace may abound? He says, absolutely not. And this is why he says that. Romans 6.6. 6. He says, because we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It says when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. We are raised with him in his resurrection. But our old nature is crucified. We're crucified with Christ. No longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. It is all throughout scripture that there is a dying of the old self and a coming alive of a new being inside of us. This has to happen. Has to happen. So all of that to say, if God is in you, you now have the power to choose what you say. Godly speech, listen, Godly speech is only a choice for the godly. So first, we have to know that we are his, that we have been saved by his grace and transformed by his spirit. Then, once we are his, the process of sanctification begins. Now we have to start making choices that honor God. Now we have to start listening to the Holy Spirit and changing the things that he's asking us to change. This is when we have to start evaluating our walk and assessing our spiritual maturity level. And the word test is a good test for that. Evaluate what you said today, what you talked about today. What were your conversations like at home or at school? Were they encouraging? Were they God-honoring? Were you lifting people up? Were you full of joy and kindness and godly wisdom and positivity, gentleness, all the things that God asks us to be full of? Or were you more concerned with yourself? Were you full of selfishness, selfish talk, complaining, gossiping, cursing, Vulgar jokes just to get a laugh. Vulgar stories just to fit in. Were your words more concerned with honoring God or fulfilling your own selfish desires? When you think about what you talked about today and yesterday and the day before, you can measure by what's coming out of your mouth what is inside of your heart. And God does not tell us, hey, what's in your heart needs some work because he doesn't like us. He says what's in your heart needs some work because he desperately loves us. And he wants to change our mouths so that there's evidence of a changed heart. It's an outward expression of an inward change. When our words start to change, we start to show that something is changing inside of us. If what comes out of your mouth is what is in your heart, then just assess what comes out of your mouth 
and you will know the things that you need to work on. Turn to Colossians 3, 7 to 10. We're going to be there for a little while. Colossians 3, 7 to 10. It is on page 2,298 in my Bible, if that helps any of you, or impresses you that my Bible has that many pages by the time you get to Colossians. Big Bibles. All right, Colossians 3, 7 to 10. Are y'all there? Yes? Amen? 2,298? Do you have the same Bible as me? No. I gave you completely irrelevant information. It's hope to getting a laugh, but see, I just confused you, so. Colossians 3. Go eat popcorn. That's how I remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's right after Philippians. All right. It says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its creator. It says, put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. There is a, there is a, a action required of us. He's like, it's saying, get, get dressed. First, take off the old self. That's something you have to do. And then put on the new self. There's a, there's a, a responsibility for us in that. We have to do something. The first thing on this list that he's telling us to look at, that we're going to look at tonight, is anger. It says put off anger. When you're putting off the old self, one of the things you have to put off in your speech is anger. There's a false belief out there that somehow like uh, keeping it real and being angry and letting people know exactly what you're thinking when you're angry and you're upset is somehow a virtuous characteristic, Right? We have guys at the program say this all the time. They say, I'm not, not going to be fake. I've never been fake. Right? I'm going to tell you how I feel. And this infuriates me because it's selfish to the core. It's saying, I'm not willing to hold in anything that I feel right now. I'm just going to let it out. Regardless of how it makes you feel or how it affects you, I'm going to let this thing come flying out because that's what I do. Because I'm going to be brutally honest with you but that's not scriptural at all it's selfish to the core when we use our words to express our anger we are concerned only with ourselves we cut people with our anger like a knife and in our anger we hurt people for our own relief our own relief I remember my dad when when I was about nine years old I was staying the weekend at his house and I was laying on a couch watching the TV, and he was sitting behind me in his chair, and we were doing what we usually did, which was watch movies. And I was doing what I usually did, which was aggravate him by asking questions. And now I see it's come back to haunt me because my oldest asks nothing but questions during movies. And I remember this time because I was asking him questions he did not know the answers to, and he was frustrated with me and frustrated with me and frustrated with me, and then it, all of a sudden, he said, Jesus Christ, son, I don't know. I haven't seen it. And he had a voice that was one of the deepest voices you would ever hear. He did radio for like 30 years and PA announcing. And like the wall shook and I, my eyes welled up with tears and I didn't want him to know that I was hurt. And so I just kind of curled up on the couch and just kept watching the movie silent. Tears running down my face. And he never came and made it right with me. And we never talked about it. He just lashed out at me. And it, the best word I can use as we're talking about words being knives is that it cut me. I felt cut by a person that was supposed to protect me, supposed to care for me. I felt like I was, the, I, was vict, I was the victim here. I was laying there bleeding on the couch and he didn't seem to be concerned about it. 
And that's what our anger can do to people. He was frustrated. And I was partly at fault. I was frustrating him. And lots of times when we're angry, it's because someone has done something to us. And we will feel justified in our anger. But you're allowed to feel anger or feel frustration without spewing it onto someone and cutting them wide open, leaving them bleeding all over the place. And I know that this is an option, but it's still a temptation. When my kids don't do what I want them to do, and I get frustrated, and I get angry, and I yell at them sometimes because they won't do what I want them to do and because there's this frustration boiling up in me. It's not what God has called us to do, though. It's never. I never yell at my kids to bring healing or to show them that I love them or even really to teach them discipline. If I was really concerned with doing those things, I would get down on their level and I would teach them. I would discipline them, but I would do it in a way that made them feel closer to me after, not scared of me. There was one time my son would not pick up the toys in the square that I told him to pick up. It was like this big. And by the end of it, I was drawing a map of it on the floor. Pick up the toys in this square. Five of them. I'm counting them. One, two, three, four, five. Five toys. And he looks at him, and he turns around. He's like, I'm going to pick up these toys. I'm like, no. No. Not those toys. These toys. And so, like, I say, if you don't pick up the toys, by the time I count to three, you're going to get a whipping. And we don't spank our kids that often. He's the one that usually gets it if it happens. Well, he like basically looked at me and was like, I ain't about it. And he ran around the island and I caught him on the other side. And normally when we spank, we try to do it the right way, whatever that way is. You bring him to another room, grab a wooden spoon because hands are for loving. And you tell them that you love them and you hit them on the butt and then you hold them and hug them. Well, that was not what I was about. I grabbed him by the arm and he like spun around And I, like, whipped him, whipped him. And he was hurt, not physically, like, emotionally. And my daughter was, like, peeking around the corner with, like, a tear in her eye because I was mad. And I caused hurt in my home. To the kids that God has said, protect these kids, love these kids, raise these kids. In my anger, in my frustration, in my right, I felt like, because he wasn't listening to me. I walked in sin, and I hurt people that, that God had told me to protect. And I did make it right with them. I huddled everybody up, and I loved on them, and I apologized. And I told them what I always say. Look, when I, what I said to do, I still mean it. But how I went about it was way wrong. And I loved on them, and I, I hope that my kids, we've all moved on from that in healing, and I believe that we have. But those are the things that happen whenever we act out of our anger. We hurt people. We hurt people for our own relief, our own release, to hit the release valve, to feel better, to let it out. You guys deal with it too when you have friends maybe that hurt you or siblings that aggravate the mess out of you or parents, this is me, that won't let you do anything. That's what my mom always did to me. I say, so-and-so gets to do, go to this party, and so-and-so gets to do this, and they get to do this, and they don't have a curfew, and I can't do anything. And she'd say, you're not so-and-so. And I'd say, I hate you. And now I'm a, I'm a parent, and I imagine that was hurtful. Because I was flexing my flesh, and I felt it was my right. But when we speak in our anger, we hurt people, and that is never justifiable. There is an, another option besides stuffing and blowing up. You can either, we think, man, either I'm going to hold this in or I'm going to just blow up and let it out. The other option is we run to Christ and we ask him to help us. And then we walk in obedience to his teachings and not to the feelings of our flesh. It says he always provides us a way out from temptation. Always. You might not feel like giving up your anger, but the Bible says it's not about your feelings. You're not your own. Remember we just read that. You've been bought at a price. You're no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to be a slave to your anger. Sometimes you have to find healthy outlets to let go of it, but you don't have to hurt people because you're angry. We're talking about our words here. You don't have to let it come flying out of your mouth just because you feel it. Proverbs 15.1, you don't have to turn there. It says this, a soft answer turns away wrath, 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer brings peace. A soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer de-escalates. But a harsh word, an angry word, makes things worse. And we leave people in destruction. The next destructive use of our words we're going to look at is slander in the scripture. Or gossip is what we would more, more normally say in our everyday vocabulary. I used to have a big problem with gossip. Uh, I'd talk about anybody, really, in my addiction. I remember working at uh, the restaurant that I worked at, and there was another guy there that was a drug addict as well, and I somehow in my mind deemed that he was a worse drug addict than me. And so I would talk about him. I'd be like, you see this so-and-so? You know? That dude's the worst. He's late again. He looks high right now. I heard he uses needles, because I didn't use needles, so I was better than him. And one day, we were rolling silverware, and I'm talking about this guy, and my manager comes around the corner, and he says, I thought I had this big secret about what I was doing. He says, who are you talking about, Smith, yourself, finally getting honest? And I was angry. I went back to anger, straight from gossip into anger. And I was red in the face, and I felt so embarrassed, and I felt so exposed But it's what I deserved because I was dragging somebody else down and they were doing the same thing I was doing. When I got to APOR, it was very directly pointed out to me that this was an issue. And the the double standard that that all of us usually have is that we don't like being talked about. I came into APOR and I would talk about people. I wouldn't always start it, but I would jump in. Oh, yeah, I saw, I see that too. Oh, yeah, you know, I agree with you. So, yeah, he's the, he's, He's a real screw-up or whatever would be said. But then one day somebody told me, hey, man, because I came in real uh, skinny. So I was trying to eat everything in sight. We call it shake back, the shake back weight. I was like cramming hot dogs. And he's like, hey, man, everybody's been talking about how much you eat. You want to slow down. And just that little sentence, I was ready to leave. I was so offended. I was like, these fakers. They've been pretending like they're my friends. Everybody's been letting me eat first. They gave me the, t- the bottom bunk. Everybody helps me unpack. You get to sit in the front seat when you first get there. Everybody's so nice to me. And you saying everybody's talking about me? And I was so offended. And I had spent the first two weeks talking about other, I'd been jumping in on all the other conversations. We, don't, we, we expect people to treat us with their words in ways that we are not usually willing to uphold ourselves to the same standards. We talk about people. If we find out we've been talked about, we're offended. We get angry with people and we go off on them, but when someone does that to us, we feel so disrespected. How dare you talk to me like that? We had this double standard and God is trying to get that out of us. But what God revealed to me about gossip is that I did it out of my own insecurities. It was my own brokenness. It was my own uh, self-hatred. It was my own uh, unwillingness to really want to look at myself and see where my life, what my life had become. I was living in this fantasy world. It's always easier to pick apart somebody else around us so we don't have to deal with how we feel about ourselves. And you guys are in like the mecca of insecurityville right now. Going through puberty, right after puberty, in, you're, in this, you're in this vacuum, living in a bubble in school, and everybody gets to see what you do, and now you have social media, and everybody knows what's going on with you, and everyone's trying to be okay. And when you don't feel okay, it's always easier to knock somebody else down. There's a saying we use at the program a lot. There's two ways to have the tallest building in town. You can humble yourself, work hard, and let God build your building taller than all the other buildings. Or you can destroy all the other buildings and have your trailer be the tallest one in town. It's our choice. We can spend our lives tearing people down, but there's always going to be the emptiness undealt with inside of us. What's in us comes out of us. If we have to tear people down, it doesn't say very much about what's inside of us. But it's easy to get roped into gossip. I'm sure y'all are all innocent and you never just start stuff. I'm sure you just happen to get, you know, roped in. It's easy to get roped in. Something about it feels good to the flesh. It strokes that evil, prideful ego in us that just wants to feel superior to people. Right? No one's agreeing with me, but I know you're all lying. Because it is so enticing, it is very easy for us to make excuses for gossiping. 
And maybe you didn't agree that you're a gossiper tonight because you make some of these excuses and you think, I'm not a gossiper. These are some of the excuses. Let's go through them. You ready? You ready? You ready? You're ready. All right. I have told them this to their face already. Still gossip. I would say this to their face if they were here right now. Still gossip. He or she already knows that I think this about them. Still gossip. I really love this person, but I really shouldn't say this, but still gossip. You get the point here. It doesn't matter what kind of caveat you put at the beginning of it. If you are talking about someone that is not standing in front of you, unless you are giving a 100% compliment about that person. Like it's just me and Dom talking and we're talking about Pastor Matt and I'm like, Pastor Matt is the best looking dude in the world and I just leave it at that. Dom might think that's a little weird, but he cannot accuse me of gossiping, right? Because I've just complimented him. You can't be in trouble for complimenting someone behind their back. But this is something else we do. It cannot be a 75% compliment. That's what this looks like. I'm talking to Pastor Dom about Pastor Matt and this is what I say. He's so smart and he's funny. And he's really nice, but he's so ugly, right? You can't give three compliments, follow it with an insult. It's not a 75% compliment. It's still gossip. We act like I would say it to them covers it. We'll say it to them. If it's so on your heart, if you're so concerned about the lifestyle someone's living or the compromise in their life or what they're doing or who they're dating or what they said or where they went, if it's such a burden on you, you act like we live in the 1800s. You'd have to get on a horse by candlelight and ride across town and you might get killed on the way just to get this message. You've got phones, iPads. Uh, you've got instant message, I mean, uh, uh, Instagram, instant messengers from when I was, I just dated myself. You've got, you can DM them, you can text them, you can FaceTime, you can call. You could get a message to someone if you're that concerned. But we hide behind, well, I would tell them, or I did tell them. It doesn't matter if you already told them. You know why? Because you're influencing the person you're telling now to have judgments about the other person that you're talking about. The reality is that it's easy to gossip because it doesn't cost us anything. It costs us to go to a brother. I know this because this is something we teach in the program and it is foreign. When you have aught with a brother, you go to him and you tell him that you have aught and you ask for forgiveness for holding on to bitterness. And you don't leave the room until you get the relationship right. That's costly. Going to a friend and saying, look man, I'm really concerned. I know this isn't gonna make me popular. I know this might hurt your feelings, but I see some things in your life and I'm really, really, really concerned about those things, do you need somebody to talk to? You're putting yourself on the line. You're possibly getting rejected. You might lose a friend stepping out in faith, talking to them. It's costly. It doesn't cost us anything to go behind somebody's back and say, man, did you see what so-and-so's doing? I'm concerned about them. And then leaving it at that. There are times, I wanna say this, there are times when we need to get counsel when we're concerned for a friend. And you seek prayer and wise counsel, that's different. That is with a parent or a teacher or a counselor or a leader or a pastor. It's not with the person sitting next to you that you whisper to in English class. That's not seeking wise counsel. That's not concern. When we're concerned about someone, we go to them. We don't gossip. Aside from disobedience to God, the biggest problem with gossip is that it causes division and it tears people down. When we sp whether we spread truths or lies about people, Without them there, we influence others to form judgments about them. And there is a, um, a Jewish commentary on the books of wisdom that says this. The evil tongue slays three, the slanderer, the slandered, and the listener. You're poisoning your own heart. You're the slanderer. You're poisoning your own heart by exalting yourself above this person, by causing division, and by, by being a judgmental judgmental, critical person. You are damaging the person you are talking to, talking about by tearing them down and ruining reputations, and you are damaging the person you are gossiping to by opening them, opening them up to the same pride and judgment that you now find yourself in. You kill three good birds with one evil stone. Long story short, 
When we use our words for gossip, we are only concerned with ourselves. See a pattern here? When we use our words for anger, it's only out of concern for ourselves. When we use our words to gossip about people, we are only concerned with ourselves. We cut people with our gossip like a knife. Words are like knives. In gossip, we are willing, we prove ourselves to be willing to create a victim somewhere else for our own comfort. We're willing to hurt somebody that's not even there so that we can fit in, so that we can get our point across, so that we can look better or feel good about ourselves. Nothing about that is godly. The last destructive use of our words that we're going to talk about is obscene talk. Ephesians 5, 4. Everybody turn there. Ephesians 5, 4. I'm helping you guys practice following along in your Bibles. Everybody turn to Ephesians 5, 4. you there say amen all right it says this let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking it tells you right after that what you should put in instead let there be thanksgiving it says first let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking the purpose of obscene talk or crude nasty joking or dirty conversations or dirty stories it's never to build someone up. It's never to build someone up. It, it, it may be to make them laugh, but it's never out of a real care for that person. We never tell a dirty joke, let's be honest, because we see the person that we're talking to is in such a sad place in life, they just need a, a pickup. And so we tell them something raunchy, something obscene, because we're so concerned about that person. Most of the time when we're talking in general, we're thinking about ourselves. For sure, when we're joking, when we're trying to be funny, when we're telling a story, the scene, the, 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 uh, the, the, the focus is on us. And it strokes that ego thing. I feel funny. I feel accepted. I feel edgy. I feel part of the crowd. I don't feel left out of the crowd. I, 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 I. When we are concerned with ourselves, we drag other people down. We put thoughts and images in the minds of others that pull them away from the righteousness of God. And we have this problem where I work as well. We call it war storing. We have men that have lost everything because of drugs and because of alcohol and because of their selfishness. But when you put a bunch of us together, there's this desire in us to start talking about the old days, how much dope we did, how many women we slept with, what happened at this time, what happened at that time, what happened this time when I was driving and I barely made it out alive. I shouldn't even be here today. And everyone starts laughing and everybody's got to one-up and then everybody's going to build on that. It just takes one to start it. And what's lost on us is that there's a God that has purchased us out of that place and brought us into a place of literal restoration so that he can change us. And everyone else around us has paid the price. For us being there, there are wives that have to get a second job. There's parents that are taking out loans to pay off the loans that their kids left out there. There's people that are bending over backwards to help these guys. And we're just in there joking about where we've come from, making a mockery of what we've done. But it's the same thing if you're not in a program. According to the standard of God, and there's only one standard, it's the standard of Christ. And Paul says, it's the only standard. It's the standard we meet at. He said, not that I have obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. The bullseye is Christ. And our mouths have to reflect that. And if you know him, then the sacrifice that's being made for you is not by mothers and by fathers and by wives and by children outside of a program. It's by the son of God on the cross. And it was paid a long time ago in his blood. And he said, I bought you back. And how quickly we forget what we were delivered from when we start running our mouths about thing that dis things that dishonor him and dishonor his children. Guys, we're bad about it. I don't know all the things you girls talk about. I'm sure you're not perfect. But God created these women to raise them up, to serve him, to be loved, to be cherished, to be nurtured. And I know what the talk was about when I was in high school. And it wasn't about honoring girls. It was about getting ours. And you were made fun of if you weren't trying. And that was the talk 
all the time, all the time. And if you wanted to fit in, you better run your mouth. But the Bible says you will be justified by your words or condemned by your words. So one day you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did your mouth say was in your heart? And you're not going to say, well, everybody else was doing it. That's what I tried with my mom. It didn't even work on her. If you think it's going to work on the creator of the universe, he says you've got another thing coming. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. I'm saying that you have to be willing. You have to have your heart open to being changed. This has to be able to hit something in you if that's you or if you're in any of these categories or anything else. We have to be open. We can't be just playing church, pretending to be doing this thing. This is real. God is after us. When we use our words for the obscene, we are only concerned about ourselves. It fits the profile with the rest of the night. We're not concerned where it will take others in their walk We're not concerned how it will reflect on God or affect our relationship with him. We cut people with our obscene talk like a knife. And in obscene talk, we damage someone else's walk purely for our selfish feel-good. It feels good to get a laugh. It feels good to fit in. It feels good to join in on what everybody else is talking about. It feels good to run your mouth and tell everybody all the things that you've done and how, big, how much of a big timer you are. But this is the truth. We carry the name of God. This is another brilliant quote from Dom. We carry the name of God. It pleased him. It pleases him. The fact that we get to offer anything tonight that is a sweet sound to him. It's pleasing. It pleased him to call us sons and daughters and put his name on us. He labeled us as his. It says we no longer have the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption. He's put his name on us. When the, when the, young, when, I mean, when the prodigal son runs out on the father and embarrasses him and takes his inheritance early, basically saying, I would rather have your stuff than be in relationship with you. And then he goes and spends it all and squanders it, which is all of our stories and our sin. When he comes back, he rushes out and he meets him and he puts the ring on his finger that signifies that he belongs to the father. The stamp, the signet of the ring. He says he's put his stamp on all of us. His name is on you. We are his billboards. More so than that, we are his lights. If you know him and you know he loves you and you say that you love him, then you have to be burdened and you have to be convicted and you have to be hurt by the times that your mouth says something different. Not in condemnation, but in repentance. That we've been dishonoring his name. When our conversations are full of gossip, obscene talk and anger, we take the reputation of God and we turn it into something empty, worthless, and vain. And we make it all about us. Words are knives, they're powerful, they will cut. But knives are not inherently evil just like the tongue is not inherently evil, just like money is not inherently evil, just like bricks or anything else are not inherently evil. For with a knife, you can kill someone. You can stab them, you can maim them, you can do terrible things. But you can also do surgery. You can also save lives. You can also bring healing with a knife. It all depends on the hand that wields the knife. God's word says that his word is a blade, sharper than a sword, dividing joint and marrow. It's very specific. Dividing soul and spirit, but never to wound, always to heal, always to love. Even when Jesus hurts the young rich ruler's feelings, he says, it says in the word, he says, and looking at him, he loved him and says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And the young rich ruler misses the invitation because all he hears is the cost. God is saying tonight, get rid of the, get rid of the need to fit in, get rid of the need to talk about people, get rid of the need to blow off steam and hurt people, get, need, get rid of the need to tell jokes or tell stories or talk about things that do not honor him. And if you think it's a cost, 
you're missing out on what the reward is. It's walking with him. When you know that he's good and you know that he's worthy and you know that he's worth it, changing the way we talk doesn't seem like such a big cost. Put on the new self. Pick up the new knife, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You have the power now to wield a healing hand, a healing word, an encouraging word. You have the power to speak to someone that is left out, that gets made fun of, that gets bullied. And you can change what's going on in their lives, sometimes with the simplest thing, if we get out of ourselves. Put on Christ every day. Give up the old ways you used to talk. Take stock of what you say. And seek the help of the Holy Spirit for the power to control your tongue. Do that, and the scripture says in Proverbs 18, you will eat of its fruit, fruit that is full of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your words have been sharp tonight, God. Sharp to heal. Sharp to love. Sharp to expose if necessary, God, always so that you can bring us into closer relationship. I pray for anyone in the room tonight, God, that does not know your love and does not know your mercy and grace, does not know you as Savior and Lord. I pray, God, that as they go throughout this weekend, that they would talk to someone that could lead, you, lead them in the direction to you, God. You are searching for us. I know you must be searching for us because I was not searching for you. If anything, I discredited you and I said you didn't exist and still you plucked me up and saved me and you have me here tonight. So I know you're searching. So I pray for that heart tonight or those hearts tonight that are beating fast right now because they know there's something real going on. I pray for them to take the next step and come to you so that they can know you and know the power that you have to change their hearts. And I pray for those of us in the room that do already know you, God. I pray that you would help us to temper our tongue, to honor you, to be concerned most with you. When our thoughts are, are centered on you, when we seek first the, the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we're concerned about you and we love you and we want to honor you, our words follow. But just because we've said the words of knowing you or we've come to church for a while and we've gotten comfortable in our walk, God, I pray that you'd prick at us to evaluate what is in us and what's coming out of us. Please give us more of your grace and more of your love. Pour it out in our hearts, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.